0: So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter, chapter 1, it seems that the uh, the, the, the series on 1 Peter has been a little bit um, disjointed because we've had things like Pentecost and visiting speakers and things in between. So we, we haven't got very far through the letter. Uh, in fact, um, I asked Karen to read the, more or less the whole of where we've got to so far, because I think it, 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 I want to have a look at it as a whole uh, this morning. Um Okay, we've picked it up this morning in 1 Peter at, at verse 10, where it says, concerning this salvation. Concerning this salvation. And it struck me that that has been a dominant theme in this letter so far salvation. And, and it struck me that it, it had that it come over in three different ways uh, we have been saved, we are being saved. And we will be saved. Do you notice that in that passage? That uh, salvation is something which, uh, you know, is what we're all about. We believe in a saviour, Jesus, who has saved us from our sins. Um, But it's not just something that has been done in the past. It's something for now, but it's also something to look forward to in the future. Uh, There are three different dimensions of, of salvation. So let's have a look at that in this passage, uh, under those three headings. So we've got three, three, three points this week. Yeah. Um, Jesus never had three points, did he? Uh, he only ever had one, which uh, maybe we should learn from that. <clears throat> we have been saved. That is to say, if you are a Christian, uh, you have been saved. Um, I don't, we, we don't tend to do this so much in this church, but in some churches, they would all come up to you and say, have you been saved? Uh, and uh, whatever language we use, have you been converted, whatever it might be, it's an important question. And that if we've come to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour and Lord, if we've confessed our sins to him, asked his forgiveness, uh, and received his Holy Spirit, we have been saved. Uh, and and we can, we've got a number of things in this passage, if you'd like to uh, look through the first uh, 12 verses of this chapter. Um, It talks about the cross. This is is where salvation has happened. It's a past event, 2,000 years ago for us. um, But um, we have been saved because of what Jesus did on the cross, the finished work of Christ. It talks about his blood that has been sprinkled on us, just as in the Old Testament, the priest would sprinkle the blood of the offerings onto the sacrifices uh, uh, onto the people uh, to make them holy. The blood of Christ has been sprinkled on us. It talks about his great mercy. Uh, it talks about the new birth. And again, we might use the language, have you been born again? Uh, whether you're familiar with that language or whether you find it a bit hackneyed. Uh, we, we If we have been saved, we have been born again to a new life, whichever terminology you prefer. And it talks about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. A past event that has happened and has changed the course of history and certainly has changed our lives. And so, uh, when we say we have been saved, we have plenty of evidence to say, say, this is how I know that I have been saved. It's what Christ has done for me on the cross and by his resurrection. But you know, it didn't start with Jesus. This... Is not where salvation history started. Uh, and Peter here talks about, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you. Um, you see, it wasn't a surprise, really, or it shouldn't have been a surprise, when Jesus appeared in, in Israel and Palestine uh, 2,000 years ago. Uh, the prophets have pointed to salvation. Um, Let's just have a think about salvation history. Uh, when did it start? The Germans have a lovely term for this. It's Heilsgeschichte. So if you can manage that one, it means the story of salvation. Uh, and um, it begins really with Noah, I would suggest. The first kind of major act of uh, of uh, salvation in, in the Bible was when Noah uh, was obedient to God and God rescued the whole of uh, the whole of his creation through one man. Uh, And then it starts again with with Abraham, the first man who by faith followed God and and God began to build a people of faith uh, uh, through which he would save the whole of the world. And then of course uh, we remember Joseph uh, and how he saved the people of Israel from Egypt. I'm going to miss out lots here. Moses, uh, um, how sorry, how Joseph saved them into Egypt Uh, And then later on, how Moses saved the people who were slaves in Egypt, and that was a major theme in the story of salvation. I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, we read over and over again. And then Joshua, the one who brought them into the promised land and and created a people, a community in in that land. Uh, And then the judges, we heard about Samson, uh, the last uh, sermon that Paul uh, Pace preached, Uh, uh, we were praying for Paul and and Jill this morning as they probably go for the first time to their one of their what might be their new church Um, but Samson and the judges uh, were all sent as saviors to save people Samuel the prophet and then King David and then the kings and so on and so forth and we could remember Nehemiah and Ezra people like that right the way through to um, when Jesus come but Peter Peter goes on to say that the prophets who spoke of the grace that was come to you... And later on, he says, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. So all of these prophets did not act of their own volition. They, They spoke because the Spirit of Christ was working in them. Even though Jesus had not at that point been born as a human being... Jesus of Nazareth. But his spirit was working through all these people for thousands of years. But what did the spirit of Christ predict? The spirit of Christ predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So over the Old Testament uh, we do have uh, predictions of of salvation and, and future hope and future glory but also, predictions of suffering. Just to take a few very well-known passages. let's just read a few verses from Isaiah chapter 53, words that will be very, very familiar to all of you. This was written by the prophet Isaiah as he was, uh, as he was led by the Spirit of Christ some 700 years before Jesus came. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. i just abridged that very slightly but isn't that amazing? Those words were written... 700 years before Jesus. And uh, we were discussing at our house group um, a little while ago, and I've had long discussions with Mike. Why isn't it that the Jewish people, when they read this, can't see that it's about Jesus? And and I think we concluded that they do probably know it is about Jesus, but they don't want to realise it. They don't want to accept it. Here is Isaiah, by the Spirit of Christ, pointing to the Christ who would suffer. But what um, what about this Hosea? Hosea chapter chapter 6, just a few verses which are not terribly well known. But if you look through the Old Testament, there's not very much that points to resurrection. There's not very much understanding of the afterlife at all. It was just a shadowy place called Sheol. But here in Hosea, listen to these verses. Come, let us return to the Lord. And that's a call to all of us. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Isn't that fantastic? The prophets are pointing to not only the death of Jesus, but also his resurrection as they were led by the Spirit of God. And, And the psalmist as well. Listen to just some words from Psalm 22. My God... My God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, when Jesus cried out those words on the cross, he was, his hearers would have been in no doubt that he was referring to this psalm, Psalm 22. He says, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Um, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. A band of evil men has encircled me. I can count all my bones. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. That's a psalm of King David, a thousand years before Jesus. And there the prophets by the Spirit of Christ are pointing to Jesus. We could look at Psalm 69. We could look at many places through the old testament in fact we could spend all morning just finding references how the prophets have pointed but i want to ask this question did the prophets understand exactly what they were saying did they understand how their prophecies would be realized i think not i I think they they would have probably not really understood Uh, exactly the implications of what they were saying. They were speaking as they were carried along by God. They just brought whatever God uh, told them to say. Sometimes it landed them in deep water. Uh, Isaiah was cut in two, we believe. Um, But they spoke as God enabled them. The Spirit of Christ was pointing them to say things which wouldn't be fully understood for many centuries to come. And I wonder when we speak today, Are we aware of what we're saying? When Jesus looks down from the cross at the people and he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Yeah? I'm sure that we we act in ignorance a lot of the time. We don't really know how what we do and say fits into the big scheme of things. And that can be a negative thing. Things that we say which are harmful. Or it could be a positive thing that maybe we say something which becomes incredibly significant to somebody at some point in the future. isn't that, uh, There's a lot of hope there, isn't there? Even though there's a warning. And I, and I think these prophets just uh, spoke as God uh, led them and they wrote down what they believed God had given them. And then they left it to God to deal with the um, consequences. Now, actually, let's go back to 1 Peter, because uh, in verse 12, it says, It was revealed to them the prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that you have now been told. This letter is to you. Uh, Remember, the letter of Peter is is written to the scattered people of God. Uh, Jewish people initially, and now uh, non-Jews are are joining the churches, and the gospel is spreading. And Peter is writing to all those people in those different places. And so when it says, they were thinking of you, we can say actually that the word of God is to us. It's a personal word. Um, Now, um, we had a a lovely, uh, we've just been talking to my mum and dad about times past, and we had a fabulous minister of our Methodist church um, in St Albans. Uh, Andre Breach, he was, he was a very passionate man. He once knocked the flower vase off the pulpit when he did a gesticulation um, and he said quite outrageous things sometimes. He, he actually said once, um, he said, oh, we went to this church tea, and they had shop cakes. He said, oh, if you've been a minister as long as me, and you've eaten so many homemade cakes, you'd love shop cakes. <laughs> of course, he'd never been to the stable. Um, but on the one occasion, uh, a lady came up to Andre at the end of the service and said, you preach that sermon at me. And he said, uh, he said, Madam, I didn't preach it at you, but if the cap fits, wear it. And I say that to you. I'm not preaching to you individually or pointing the finger at anyone, because whenever you point a finger, there are three pointing back. But if the word of God is for you, then it is your responsibility to hear and take action on that word. And if you don't, then the consequences are your responsibility." But the prophets spoke of the grace that was to come to you. They didn't just speak about the suffering. They talked about the grace that would come through the suffering. So that brings us to uh, uh, the next bit. We we uh, have been saved. We are being saved. We're now into the present. Um, in the beginning, he says... Um, In this, he says about this salvation that is going to be ready in the last time, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Peter is writing to a suffering people. Persecution is beginning in the church, and Peter's scattered uh, churches all the way through Asia Minor uh, are are experiencing suffering. They are strangers, strangers. They're aliens. They don't fit into the society where they're living. They're persecuted. They need the present encouragement and hope. It's all very well looking back to the past. It's all very well looking to the future. They need encouragement uh, and hope. And if you remember, in Luke's Gospel, just uh, after the Lord's Supper, but before Jesus has actually predicted Peter's denial, he says to Peter, He says, I have prayed for you, Simon. He calls him Simon here. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Peter's thinking, turn back from what? Jesus, uh, he hasn't even turned away at this moment. But Jesus knows, I've prayed for you when you have turned back. He doesn't say if you turn back. It's about repentance turning back. Repentance is... Obligatory for if you say you've been saved, uh, you must have turned back from what you know to be wrong. It's no good saying I'm, I want salvation for the bits that I want to be saved from, Lord, but uh, I, I, not these bits. Actually, uh, salvation is a holistic thing. Um, we are being saved, um, and and Peter's role as the broken. Uh, failed disciple, Peter's role is to come and strengthen his brothers. That's why he writes his letter. To strengthen them in their present sufferings and their trials. Also when he, he, he's on the shore of the Lake, lake of Galilee and, uh, and uh, Jesus says to him three times, do you love me? Which must have hurt Peter a great deal. You know I love you. He says, take care of my sheep. Peter knew that his remit in life was to take care of the people of God, of the suffering church. We don't like suffering, uh, and as uh, Glynn said in her prayers, uh, to be honest, let's be honest, Christians in this country don't suffer, really. I don't think we have a a slightest clue what that means. Um, We we might call suffering sometimes to each other, but we don't suffer in the way that church in other parts of the world suffers. Um, But uh, suffering is a necessary thing which the prophets have predicted. And and in verses 7 and 8, he talks about this suffering that has come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Suffering is about refining faith. It's about finding out who you really are, what you really rely on. Who your true saviour is, I might say. And uh, if that faith is genuine, he says here, though you've not seen Christ, you believe. Many of these people in these churches have not seen Jesus Christ but they'd met him later on by the Spirit as they were converted, as they found salvation. He said, "And you are filled with inexpressible joy." Does that describe you this morning? Filled with inexpressible? I, to be honest, it doesn't fill me at this moment. Let's let's you know. There's lots of songs that we sing, um, which uh, we can't actually honestly own. The words, it has been said that when people become Christians, they stop telling lies and they start singing them instead. Oh, I'm so happy, Lord. No, I'm not. (laughs) Whatever we are, actually, the truth is, um, because of the fact that we are saved and we believe, we can have this inexpressible joy. Sometimes it's just hard to express it. and some people it's not. Think of Paul and Silas in prison. Paul and Silas, uh, there they are. Um, they've been beaten, they've been thrown in prison, they don't know if they're going to be executed or what, and they're singing hymns and praying at midnight. Now, my faith, if their faith is about 9 or 10 on the scale, mine's about 1, tending to 0.5, compared to that. yeah, And probably most of us the same. But if you have this faith, uh, and we are, we know we are being saved, he says... You are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If you hang on, even though you can't see, but you have faith, you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's in present tense, isn't it? We are receiving it. Our present salvation gives us a living hope for something in the future. And that comes to the last point. We will be saved. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. The prophets are looking for future hope. Uh, and very many of the prophecies in the Old Testament were written when Israel was in exile. Or, uh, and, and they abandoned all hope. They didn't think they'd ever get out. Uh, and, and they did. So if I say to you, folks, it's all going to be okay. Okay. You're going to get out of here in 70 years. Would that fill you with joy? Let's be face, let's face it, none of us will be here in 70 years, will we looking around. Um, uh, you know, there's a future element, but actually uh, some of us are not actually going to see that. And throughout the Bible we know that, because in Hebrews chapter 11, there's a great big list of people of faith who had faith, they didn't see, they had faith, and we are told at the end of that chapter, none of them received what had been promised. All those people, Abraham, uh, you know, that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11, none of them actually saw. Moses didn't get to the promised land. Uh, You know, many people didn't actually see what they'd hoped for, because God had planned something better, for us. So if we have faith today, that is good. Our faith is based on what has happened in the past. It's faith for today, but actually we look forward to something better. Where there will be no suffering. And and of course the the wonderful vision in Revelation 21, where there's going to be no crying or mourning or pain, uh, and uh, God will wipe away our tears. That's that's a kind of a future hope which continues to give us this living hope. Um, but I think, actually, when you think about this, as Peter says here, we're, we're privileged to be living in the last days. You might not think so. You might not think so, but we are in the last days because we, we're in that period where um, the gospel has been preached, Christ has been revealed, the Holy Spirit has been poured out. Um, that we, none of us knows how many days or years there are to come, um, but we're in that period when we know We can look back on the prophets. We can can see how it's been fulfilled in Christ. We can receive the Holy Spirit. uh, And uh, it says even angels long to look into these things. And yet we have been given the privilege of giving salvation today. Um, Let's just have a look at uh, verse 5. It talks about praise be to our God, about the inheritance which is kept in heaven for us, who, by through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That is finally when God brings his fulfilment in uh, to the whole of creation, uh, comes to its climax and its, and its final purpose. But we are living in those last days. And we need to be... Uh, alert we need to be ready Um, but we need to hold on to faith as well as keeping our eyes on the future we need to keep our eyes on the faith the the historical basis for our faith we have been saved because of what Christ has done so when you're going through uh, the fire remember actually this doesn't depend on how good you are now it depends on what Christ has already done But we're not a backward-looking people. We're a forward-looking people. Do you see? You've got to get these three together. We have been saved. We are being saved. And one day, we will be saved fully. Uh, Salvation is now, but not yet. There's always going to be that element. Don't you long for that time when there's no more Arthritis? And there's no more arguments, and there's no more dictators when they're put in their place. Don't you long for that time? Indeed. Well, it will come. But let's listen to... I'm going to give the final words, not to Peter, but to the writer of the book of Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our... our, after he had provided purification for sins, past, tense, finished, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And the bit that I was going to read, uh, eleven Hebrews 11 verse 1, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. I wonder if we'll be commended for that same faith, brothers and sisters. We have been saved. We are being saved and one day we will be. And we need to live that out and uh, live and behave as people who've been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. Precious blood.